Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that name that the prophet gave to you through the inspiration of the Spirit 750 years before Christ was born. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And thank you, Father, that that is the very heart of the message that we seek to live out and to proclaim as your church here. Thank you that you are with us, not just in the good times, or the easy times, the pleasant times, but in the dark and the difficult times. Thank you that you are with us and that you know what it is to be human because you have shared our flesh in Jesus Christ. So Lord, thank you that as we come to worship today, there's nothing we can feel or think that you haven't experienced yourself in your human form. You know life, you know love, you know loss, you know us. So speak to each heart and mind gathered here today as we remember the story of the wise men and send us from this place determined in our own way and as best we can to become followers ourselves. Amen. From the charm of little kids draped in red robes and sporting tinfoil crowns to works of art by the likes of Fra Angelico and Botticelli and poems by Longfellow and Yeats and Eliot, the story of the Magi and their long trip to Bethlehem has always been one that's caught the imagination. So much has been made of this story when we actually know so little. Over time, tradition has added color to the pencil sketch of a story that Matthew brings us. It's turned the Magi, however many of them there were, into three kings and given them kingdoms, nationalities, different colors of skin and different names. They've become Balthazar, the king of the Chaldeans, usually portrayed as a white man. Gaspar, the Ethiopian king of Tarshish, usually represented with brown skin. And Melchior, the black king of Nubia. Tradition has them arriving at the stable, hot in the heels of the shepherds. And that's what we always show in the nativity plays. But the text is a bit ambiguous about that assumption. And whatever light led them to the stable, or cave, or house, to find the newborn or toddler that Jesus was, it's unlikely to have been the beautiful but enormous star that we see depicted in our Christmas cards. Nor, I'm guessing, would the Christ child have been emanating a comforting ready break glow as he lay in Mary's arms. But even when you strip away the layers of tradition that have embellished the story over the years, Matthew's account has more than enough magic of its own, both in terms of plot and in terms of theology and teaching. These men read something in the heavens, a sign that awakens something within them. They set off on a long journey to find out what it means. And they travel on through uncertainty and mistakes, not guided nearly as precisely as tradition might make us think finally arriving at a strange destination to welcome an unlikely king. And to their credit, 
They're not put off. They worship, they offer their gifts, and they return home by another way. These Gentile men, pagan men, looked at with suspicion through Jewish eyes because of their religion and their practice of stargazing, were among the first to bring their worship to the Christ. And to the theologically literate, that would have stirred memories of an ancient promise God had made to Abraham. The promise that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. For those with ears to hear and eyes to see, the arrival of the Magi is a powerful sign that this Christ will be the Savior, not just of the Jews, but of the world. So there's more than enough magic to be getting on with in Matthew's simple account. But in the spirit of epiphany storytelling, let me bring you these words from the work of Barbara Brown Taylor. Once upon a time, there were three, yes, three very wise men who were all sitting in their own countries, minding their own business, when a bright star lodged in the right eye of each one of them. It was so bright that none of them could tell whether it was burning in the sky or in their own imaginations. But they were so wise, they knew it didn't really matter that much. The point was something beyond them was calling them. And it was a tug they had been waiting for all their lives. Each in his own country had tried books, had tried magic, tried astrology and reflexology. One had spent his entire fortune learning how to read and write runes. Another lived on nothing but dried herbs boiled in water. The third could walk on hot coals, but it did nothing for him beyond the great sense of relief he felt at the end. They were all glad for a reason to get out of town, because that was clearly where the star was calling them out, away from everything they knew how to manage and survive, out from under their reputations they'd built for themselves, the high expectations, the disappointing returns. And so they set out one by one, each believing that he was the only one with a star in his eye, until they all ran into one another on the road to Jerusalem. From a distance, Each thought the other to be a mirage at first, a twinkling reflection made out of vapor and heat. But as they drew near to one another, they saw the star they had in common, and it was like a tattoo or a secret handshake that made them brothers before they spoke. They were unanimous that the star was leading them to Jerusalem, which made perfect sense, since they had every reason to believe that they were on their way to meet a king. They had no trouble gaining entrance to the palace. They looked rich, and that was enough to get them a royal audience. Only the king they met was something of a disappointment. He was old and fat, and he had terrible breath. His skin was yellow as if his bile had gotten the best of him, and the guards on either side of him shook so that their spears jingled against their shields. Without even conferring with one another, the wise men knew that he was not the one. So they asked him if he knew of any other kings in the general area. 
He'd been picking at his fingernails until then, but their question seemed to get his attention in a big way. He looked right at them for the first time, and when he saw the stars in their eyes, his own eyes grew perfectly round like the eyes of a snake. Asking the wise men if they would please excuse him for a moment, the king stepped into the chapel to confer with his scholars, who whipped out their concordances and told him what he wanted to know. Yes, there was a little something in the book of Micah about a new ruler for Israel, but nothing to get excited about. It had been there a long time. It seemed unlikely, but sure, why not? Send the wise men to Bethlehem to do the reconnaissance work and save a little bit on the national security budget. So that was what the king did. He gargled, combed his hair, and went back to tell the wise men that they should go to Bethlehem at once with his blessing, on the condition that they come back and tell him who his successor was so he could send flowers. His smile was empty, and his breath smelled like Dettol, and the wise men left feeling queasy. But once they were back out in the night air, they could see the star clearly again and followed it right to the doorway of a one-roomed house in Bethlehem. It was a perfectly nice place, modest but well-built. It was just not the kind of place they'd expected to find a king. A dog was sniffing the woodpile under the eaves in search of a mouse. Someone was practicing the lute next door, going over the same phrase again and again, the smell of dinner was still in the air. Wheat cakes cooked on a griddle greased with sheep's fat. Lentils with lots of garlic and rice. If they'd chosen the place themselves, they might never have knocked on the door, but the star had chosen it, so they did. And when the door opened, the couple inside almost died of fright. Not that the wise men noticed. With their arms full of gifts, they crowded into the small space bumping their turbans on the rafters and snagging their robes on the rough furniture. All they could see was the baby, whose eyes glinted with the same star they had seen before they ever left home. It was he then, whoever he was. They didn't have a clue, but they knew what to do. They got on their knees and worshipped him. Then they gave him the things that they'd brought him, all the wrong things they now thought, things he had no use for. They should have brought goat's milk, a, a warm blanket or something shiny to hang above his crib. But how could they have guessed? The child's parents were gracious. They thanked the foreigners for their gifts and held them up for the baby to see. Then, to the wise men's complete alarm, the child's mother picked him up and handed him around so that each one of them held that damp, soft, living weight in his arms. Then she took him back and nursed him until they all fell asleep where they sat. In the morning, the wise men could not find their stars anywhere. They looked in all the corners and under the chairs. The baby's mother even shook out his blanket, but after an initial panic, the wise men said, never mind, they didn't need them anymore. They had found what they were looking for, and they couldn't lose that. As much as they hated to, they guessed they'd better be on their way. No, they would not be going back through Jerusalem, they said. 
All three of them had had a dream that said, steer clear of Jerusalem, as if they needed to be told that. If anyone in Jerusalem knew anything at all, they would be here instead of there. Besides, none of their old maps seemed to work anymore. They would find a new way home. So the wise men picked up their packs, which were lighter than before, and then they lined up in front of the baby to thank him for the gifts that he had given them. What in the world are you talking about? The baby's mother laughed. And they told her so she could tell him later. For your hospitality and kindness to us, said the first wise man, who seemed to have forgotten all his runes. For the goodness of human love and human flesh, said the second wise man, who decided he'd no more interest in living on herbs anymore. For a really great story, said the third wise man, who thought that telling that story might do a lot more for him than walking on coals. Then the wise men trooped outside, stretched, kissed the baby goodbye, and went home by another way. Let us pray. Weeks, months, years maybe, God, we don't know how long these men traveled to be in your company. And when we strip away the bold colors of certainty, we realize that they, like us, traveled on faith and hunches most of the time. A star's flicker set them on their way, a pinprick in the night sky, and a nameless yearning for something they couldn't even begin to articulate. Not much, perhaps, but enough. Enough for them, at least. God, all we want this year is enough. Enough faith to keep going when the star that guides us seems fickle. Enough hope to keep believing that this journey is going somewhere. Enough love to make friends of our fellow travelers and those who would disparage us for our strange wanderlust. Enough epiphanies, day by day, Sunday by Sunday, that we return to our daily lives by another way. Shedding old ways of living that don't satisfy, old ways of thinking that leave us trapped in fear or enmity, old ways of believing that see us risk nothing and sacrifice nothing in pursuit of a relationship with you. May our time at the stable this Christmas season send us home with stars not in our eyes but in our hearts ready to be your people in the places we already are. So hear our prayers, because we ask them all in Christ's precious name. Amen.